Luke chapter 13. We're going to be talking about the kingdom of God. In fact, the title of the message is Entrance into the Kingdom of God. There's a lot of confusion in our world about what the kingdom of God is and the difference between the kingdom of God and a church. Uh, so we'll be looking at that this morning and some other things as well. But Luke chapter 13, I'm going to start reading at verse 10, and I'm going to read down through the end of the chapter. It says, And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Behold, there was a woman which had a spirit of an infirmity eighteen years, and was bowed together and could in no wise lift up herself. Jesus saw her, he called her to him, and said unto her, Woman, thou art loosed from thine infirmity. He laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. Now you would think that everybody would be praising the Lord for this, right? Well, verse 14 says, And the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation, because that Jesus had healed on the Sabbath day, and said unto the people, There are six days in which men ought to work, and them therefore come and be healed, and not on the Sabbath day. The Lord then answered him and said, Thou hypocrite. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him away to watering? Not not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these eighteen years, be loose for this bond on the Sabbath day? And when he had said these things, all his adversaries were ashamed, and all the people rejoiced for all the glorious things that were done by him. Then said he, Unto what is the kingdom of God like? Whereunto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And he went through the cities and the villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in, shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us. And he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence you are. Then shall he be, ye begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in thy presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all ye workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and you yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. The same day there came certain of the Pharisees, saying unto him, Get thee out, and depart hence, for Herod will seek to kill thee. He said unto them, Go ye and tell that fox. Behold, I cast out devils, and I do cures today and tomorrow, and the third day I shall be perfected. Nevertheless, I must walk today, and tomorrow, and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet perish out of Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and you would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate, and verily I say unto you, you shall not see me till I, till, till, 
till the time come when ye shall say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word this morning. And I pray, Father, as we look into your word today, that we'd be encouraged and challenged and, and convicted where conviction is needed. Lord, help us uh, have open eyes to, to see and ears to hear the truths of the word of God, that we might be conformed to the image of your dear Son. Lord, we pray that many here in our midst this morning who do not have assurance or know the truth of salvation, I pray that the Spirit of God work in their hearts and bring conviction. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, I've titled this Entrance into the Kingdom of God. And as I said, there's much confusion and misunderstanding in our world and in churches about what the Kingdom of God is uh, and really about what the new birth is. A lot of people, as, as the Lord says here in this passage, as He's speaking to this, these people, that there are going to be many, many who are going to endeavor to enter or think they're going to enter or think they are in the kingdom which are not. In other words, there are going to be many who think they're going to heaven only to be disappointed to find out they trusted in a false way or a false gospel. And, and that is true today. It's been true throughout history. There, there has never been I think I can safely say this. There's never been a majority in the world of saved people. They're always a minority. The Bible bears that out. In, through, throughout the Bible, you'll find that God's people, those who truly know the, the Lord, are always in the minority. There may be a majority who say they're, they're God's people, but like the Pharisees, they are not. So, First thing I want to do this morning is, is define what the kingdom of God is. So the first point is the kingdom of God defined. The word kingdom uh, means the power or authority of a king. That's what a kingdom is. It's a realm or domain over which this power extends. So as you think about the kingdom of God, it is the rule of God and the extent of his rule. It's the rule of God. It's also called in the Bible the kingdom of heaven, particularly in Matthew. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven. It's referring to the same thing. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. It's called the kingdom of Christ. And in, in Ephesians 5 5, and also in Colossians 1 13. For example, Ephesians 5 5 says this For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So there it's referring, it uses both names, the kingdom of Christ or the kingdom of God. So they're, they're used synonymous. So. So that's what it is. It's, it's, the, it's the rule of God and the extent of his rule. It is, the kingdom of God is an invisible kingdom. Uh, in Luke chapter 17, Luke 17, in verses 20 and 21, Jesus states this in Luke, in Luke 17, 20 and 21. And he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come. He answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation. So the Pharisees were looking for the kingdom. In other words, you know, the, the kingdom of God is in stages. Um, you know, right now it's it's an invisible in the invisible stage. It is going to appear one time in a visible form when Jesus Christ will sit on the throne and rule and reign over this earth. And that's what they're looking for. 
They're, they're expecting that to come. And they are oblivious to the present day kingdom. They were oblivious to it, uh, which you enter by faith. So, so they're looking for, all they're concerned about is, all they can think about is a visible kingdom to overthrow, overthrow the Roman kingdom. So all their, their consideration is about an earthly kingdom. But Jesus said here, when he was demanding of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not, cometh not with observation. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there. For behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Romans 14, 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Remember, Jesus told uh, Nicodemus in John chapter 3, uh, Except a man be born again, he cannot see, it has to do with perception or understanding, he cannot see the kingdom of God, and then he says, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God, and he says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit, but marvel not that I say unto ye, ye must be born again. So he's saying it's a spiritual kingdom, it's not a physical one. He told, he told Pilate, if, if, my, if my kingdom was of this world, then would my servants fight. But this kingdom is not of this world. It's of heaven. That's why Matthew calls it the kingdom of heaven. So it is not a visible kingdom. And this is where a lot of people get confused. And this, the handout I gave you this morning uh, gives you the differences, the differences between the church and the kingdom. And this is what false religion has done. They have made the church the kingdom. Roman Catholics have done. They've made the church the kingdom, and they rule like they're a theocracy over the world. That's what they've done. And Protestantism makes the church the kingdom. And so, you know, they, they say the church. Now, the difference is here, the kingdom of God in the New Testament church, the kingdom of God is universal. The church is local. The church of God at Corinth. The church at Jerusalem. The churches of Judea. This is the way the Bible talks about churches. Their churches in local, they're local. Uh, the kingdom of God is invisible, as we just saw here. The New Testament church is visible. We see it right here this morning. It's a visible church. It's a visible uh, uh, assembly. That's what the, the word really means, assembly. Uh, the kingdom of God has no organization. It's not organized. The New Testament church is organized. The kingdom of God is entered through regeneration. So we enter the kingdom of God by the new birth. We don't enter the church by being saved. There are saved people that aren't in churches. They should be, but they're not. No, we enter the kingdom of God. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we enter the kingdom of God by being born again. That's what we enter when we get saved. We enter the church through the ordinance of baptism. We identify and we join a church. Uh, there is one kingdom. There are many churches. Uh, the kingdom of God is a theocracy. God, it's, it's God's rule. The church, New Testament church, is a qualified democracy. It's local church rule. You know, We have our own government. Uh, there are no officers in the kingdom of God. 
in the New Testament church, there is pastors and deacons. And that's the, that's the form of government that God has given us in his word for a New Testament church. In the kingdom of God, there's no ordinances. But in the New Testament church, we have baptism and the Lord's Supper, and they are ordinances. They're not sacraments. Uh, in the kingdom of God, there's no earthly discipline. You know, that's one of the things that always befuddled me, how you do church, church discipline in a universal church. I mean, you got to discipline somebody in China? I mean, it's kind of, a, you know, odd. Anyway, but there is church discipline in the New Testament church. The Bible teaches that very clearly. The kingdom of God does not assemble. But the New Testament church does. So, so the kingdom of God and the church are two different, totally different things. Now, they are interrelated in the fact that the church is the mouthpiece or the witness to give out the gospel. And really, it's not, it's not the gospel of the church. It's the gospel of the kingdom. That's what the gospel is. We're not, we're not preaching that people can get saved by joining our church. No. They, they enter the kingdom of God by receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So it is the gospel of the kingdom. One writer said this in, in uh, quote, The organized kingdom of heaven will come in due time, but its introduction is God's affair. Not ours. Meantime, the kingdom of heaven now exists in the earth only as it enters us through individual regeneration. As God inaugurates his kingdom through the individual man, so he develops and propagates it through the church, which is also individual. No human devices can compel that kingdom immediately appear. The universal church invisible, if there were one, could offer up no specific place of service since it must remain ideal. There is no record of a gospel of the church but only a gospel of the kingdom, a kingdom to be manifested in due time. Meantime, the manifold wisdom of God is now to be made known by the church. See, the churches are to make known the manifold wisdom of God, be a witness and testimony. So, so the, the, church and the, the, the church and the kingdom, the kingdom, again, is invisible, uh, it is not observable. Uh, though they are, the, the kingdom and the church are related, they are not the same. And uh, so, so we see it is an invisible kingdom. It is the, the rule of God and the extent of his rule. So the second thing I want to see here from this passage is, first of all, the, the king, or secondly here, the, the kingdom of God perverted. Now look at verses 18 through 21. Now, you might say, how do you pervert the kingdom of God? Well, then said he, unto what is the kingdom of God like, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and the fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leaven. Now, as you think about, you know, he's speaking here, of course, to the, the, the Jews in particular, he's in the synagogue. And, of course, the, the Jews were, uh, to whom the kingdom of God was given in the Old Testament, they were God's children. They were to be witnesses for him into all the earth. And, and particularly during the days of Solomon, they, they were. But they had perverted that. Uh, 
And the, and the word pervert here means to turn away from the right course or to lead into mental error or false judgment. It, it means to turn to an improper use or misapply. And I believe this is what Jesus is referring to here in Luke chapter 13. You see, these who, to whom the kingdom of God is given have changed the origin or source of salvation. That's what many have done today. They have changed the origin or the source of salvation. I want you to notice two phrases in verse 19 and one in verse 21. Verse 19 it says, which a man took. And verse 21 says, which a woman took. Now a lot of commentators will tell you that these parables talk about how the gospel just spreads through all the earth and it just fills the world. There's only one problem I have with that. And I have a commentator that agrees with me. Uh, Harry Einstein said the same thing. He said, uh, fowls of the air speaks of the demons. And leaven in the Bible always pictures what? Sin. Sin. Corruption. And the, the phrases here, which a man took and a woman took. It's interesting in Revelation chapter 2. In fact, turn over there. Revelation chapter 2. There's a man that's mentioned causing corruption in a church. And there's a woman named. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12. Unto the angel of the church in Pargamos write, These things saith he that hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy work, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. We are not in a very good position, obviously. And thou holdest fast my name, hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas my faith was my faithful martyr, whom was slain among you where Satan dwelleth. So Satan is dwelling among this church. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of, and here's your man, Balaam. He taught Balak to cast a stumbling block for the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. And fornication, spiritual fornication is idolatry. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now this doctrine of Nicolaitans was also mentioned in, in the church when he, he uh, wrote to the church at Ephesus, but he said, you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. But here he says in Pergamos, it's among you. And the, the doctrine of Nicolaitans is, is a little, little hard to uh, confusion about what it is, but, but I believe what it is is it's, it's, it's a separation or the idea of it. there's a higher class of people in the church. In other words, this idea of clergy and laity. Priests or bishops, archbishops, and the rest of you are just all kind of down here somewhere. And, and the idea that, that the common people have to confess their sins to somebody higher up, another man, and it really means conquerors of the people. And that's what religion has done. They have corrupted. They have corrupted the truths of the word of God 
They've set themselves up as rulers over the people and have conquered them. Keep them in darkness. And they can do whatever they want. But it's also another, there's a woman here also. Chapter uh, 2, uh, verse 18. Unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and thy last to be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, Teach and seduce my servants to commit fornication, to eat things, sacrifice unto So here you have a man, Balaam, and here you have a woman, Jezebel, who was, who was who's known for bringing idolatry into the nation of Israel. That's what she's known for. For her great wickedness and her idolatrous ways and corrupting her husband and really ruling over him. See, so what you have here is a man took and a woman took, and that word took means they laid hold of in order to use it. And it's interesting, there's another word here, the word waxed in verse 20. The word waxed means to become, i.e. to be changed into something. So they've taken the truths of the kingdom of God and they corrupted them and they've changed them into something that they could use. That's what man has done with the gospel. We've, they've taken it and changed it to use to, as for something to further their own gain. You know, the Jews, for example, the Jews here in this passage had taken the law of God, which was given to show man and woman their sin before God and their need of a Savior. That was the purpose of the law, to show us that we could not save ourselves, that we need a Savior. We need a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. The law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. It wasn't meant for us to, to save us, that we would live by this moral code of the law, and thereby, thereby we would be accepted by God. That was not what it was meant for. But that's what the Jews had made it. You see, they had made it a means of righteousness to justify themselves before God. It had become an idol to them. You know, the Sabbath day was to be a day of rest of, from transacting business, from buying and selling. And, 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 and here, what you have is, Jesus healed, heals this woman on the Sabbath day, and they're upset. In Luke chapter 10, verse 29, Luke 10, 29, we see here how the, 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 this is typical of the Pharisees, but he willing to justify himself, said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, they, they by their law, they're trying to justify themselves before God. And so they've, they've changed the origin of salvation from being justified by faith to keeping the law.
And Jesus reminds them, you know, he said, there are going to be many come into the kingdom with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets, and you're going to be cast out. And what he's saying here is this. You know, Romans clearly tells us Abraham was justified by faith. He believed God. It was accounted to him or imputed unto him righteousness. But these appeal to the law itself. They're more concerned about their interpretation of Sabbath keeping and cared more for their beasts of burden than their fellow man. Notice verse 14. And the ruler of the synagogue, so Jesus heals this woman, and the ruler of the synagogue answered with indignation because that Jesus healed on the Sabbath day and said unto the people, there are six days in which men ought to work in them, therefore come and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. You know, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't directly address Jesus. He's, he, he's trying to be politically correct here, you know. He doesn't want to directly criticize Jesus before all the people, after what just has happened. So he just makes this general statement in which he does condemn Jesus, really. And, and so you need to come, and then notice our Lord's answer. Then the Lord answered him and said, Thou hypocrite, doth not each one of you on the Sabbath loose his ox or his ass from the stall and lead him out away to water him? And ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, I, by the way, I believe that means this woman understood that she was to be justified by faith. She was a saved person. Being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo, these 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day. You see, they were more concerned about their Sabbath keeping, and they cared more for their beasts than they did for this woman. You know, really, in a way, that's worshiping the creature more than the creator. That is really putting animals before people. So they've, they've changed, again, they've changed the origin of salvation. They went from the law, showing us our need of Christ, to trust in the law to save them. So, I want you to know the second thing. The keys to the kingdom, which is the gospel, that's, was given to the Lord's churches. And in Matthew chapter 13, uh, well, of course, the, we, we, we uh, have what we commonly call the... the uh, Great Commission, found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20, also found in Mark chapter 16, also found in Luke chapter 24, and John chapter 20, and then in Acts chapter 1. And we all know what that is. And, you know, we're going to all the world and preach the gospel. Uh, and that's the gospel of the kingdom. And this, so this, this, the keys here, which is the gospel, was given to the Lord's churches. And, and here we have, this, uh, made reference to this already, a man and a woman, Jezebel, who taught, idolatry or fornication. So, so let me just give you a little background. You know, the, as, as you think about these parables, of course the churches grew, they multiplied, but soon false teaching came in. 
And then after you know, the first 300 years of, of church history, Christians were persecuted, churches were persecuted, but they continued to grow. Until the Emperor Constantine favored Christianity, and then the nature of churches changed. And their message. Not all, but many. But those who refused to change were con continued to be persecuted. And I believe this is what this parable is about. You see, in place of Christ being the head of the church, the church is now made head over the kingdom. Instead of the Lord Jesus Christ being the source of salvation, the church now becomes the source of salvation. You say people really teach that? Oh, yeah. You know, we've heard a lot today about how the Roman Catholic Church has changed. But they've always taught that, church, that salvation is through the church. They still do. I got this article off of online. It's, it's called Catholic Answers. And it says, what no salvation outside the church means. And I won't read a whole article for sake of time. But it says, quote, since the sacraments are the ordinary means which Christ offers grace necessary for salvation and the Catholic Church that Christ established is the ordinary minister of those sacraments, it is appropriate to state that salvation comes through the church. Well, there's several problems with that. Number one, the Catholic Church didn't start about 500 A.D. Christ did not institute it. Christ did not institute it. Number two, there's no such thing as sacraments in the Bible. You see, we've gone from Christ, the head of the church, to the church's head over the kingdom, the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of salvation, to the church's the source of salvation, and ordinance is done in memory of Christ's death and resurrection to sacraments which have supposedly saving merit. They're not equal. They're not the same. Jesus didn't give sacraments. Baptism has no saving merit. None. The Lord's table has no saving merit. He simply said, this do in remembrance of me. Now another interesting statement I thought here writer who's Jim Blackburn goes on he says this quote in a similar fashion now that the Messiah has established his church of course talking about the Roman Catholic Church Jesus might say salvation is from the Catholics unquote now he's referring to here a little bit he's referring to he referred to the woman at uh, Samaria uh, let me read uh, I should have read this other earlier part uh, where he makes mention of this quote this is not unlike the situation that existed prior to the establishment of the Catholic Church so he admits there was time before that. Even before it was fully revealed that he was the Messiah, Jesus himself taught that salvation is from the Jews. Really? He pointed the woman of Samaria to the body of believers existing at that time through which salvation would be offered to all mankind, the Jews. Really? When, when he was talking to the Samaritan woman, and she said, I know that when Messiah cometh, he will tell us all things. What did he say? 
He said, I am he. He didn't say, we are. He said, I. Not we. Yes, he was a Jew. But when he said salvation of the Jews, he didn't mean that you could be saved by trusting that, that the Jews would, would be the means of your salvation. No, Christ is the source of our salvation. He goes on, the catechism of the Catholic Church following the historic Christian theology since the time of the early church fathers refers to the Catholic Church as a universal sacrament of salvation and states the church in this world is the sacrament of salvation, the sign and the instrument of the communion of God and man. Indifferent, indifferentists going to one extreme make claim that it makes no difference what church one belongs to. Certain radical traditionists go to other extreme claim that unless one is a full-fledged Baptist member of the Catholic Church, one will be damned. The following quotations of the Church Fathers give the straight story. They show that the early church held that the same position on this as the contemporary church does, that it is, while it is nominally necessary to be a Catholic to be saved. Notice that word, normatively. There are exceptions. And it is possible in some circumstances for people to be saved who have not been fully initiated into the Catholic Church. Notice that the same fathers who declare the normative necessary necessity of being Catholic also declare that possi possibility of salvation for some who are not Catholics. These can be saved by what later became known as baptism of blood or baptism of desire. The fathers likewise affirm the possibility of salvation for those who lived before Christ who were not part of Israel, the Old Testament people of God. However, for those who knowingly and deliberately, that is, not out of innocent ignorance, commit the sins of heresy, rejecting divinely revealed doctrine, or schism separating from the Catholic Church, or joining a schismatic church, no salvation would be possible until they repented and returned to live in Catholic unity. Well, again... Uh, there are, of course, exceptions. The Bible makes no exceptions. If you don't receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And salvation is in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not in a church. You see that Christ is the head of the church. Christ is a source of salvation. And the ordinance is only done in memory of him. So now through these corrupted influence, the gospel seed is being devoured by the birds, the demons of hell. It's being leavened, corrupted, hindered and corrupted by doctrines of devils, lies of hypocrisy, worship of the church, worship of Mary, worship of saints, trusting in sacraments to save. And all this stuff is man-centered. Easy believism, which is prevalent today in our, in our society. Which a man-centered philosophy of repentance and a drive to the most baptisms. Church has become big business. It's become for profit. 
They're motivational centers to inspire us to greatness. They're, they're carnivals to entertain us. All of which are perversions of the truth. You know, many are many are which many churches and many many churches and many ministries, etc., are like a Bradford pear tree. You'll probably all know what a Bradford pear tree is. I call them those blooming pears that aren't worth a blooming thing. Because they don't bear any fruit. I mean, if I have a pear tree, I want some pears. Not just stinking blossoms. And they do stink. They stink like rotten fish or chlorine. This article goes on to say, he calls it Bradford Pear Christianity. All those white blooming trees you see everywhere, do you think they're pretty? If you knew what they actually represent, you would choke on your morning coffee and gag on your scrambled eggs. This especially applies to that charming Bradford pear you dim-witted, your dim-witted landscaper planted in the middle of your front yard. Indeed, lack of smart <laughs> is what has led to this disaster. Bradford pear is worse than kudzu. You know what kudzu is? That's that stuff that grows all over the ground and all over the trees and you know, it's just taking over the south. Anyway, he says it's worse than kudzu and the ill-conceived progeny of Bradford pear will be cursing our environment for decades or possibly for centuries to come. When the Bradford Pear was introduced as the ornamental in 1964 by the U.S. Department of Agriculture, of course, when it was known then that the tree possessed the weakest branch structure in nature, also the tree was assumed to be sterile. Bradford Pears will seldom last more than 20 years but they, before they bust themselves apart at the seams. That's actually the good news. In an attempt to extend the lifespan of this despicable tree, other varieties such as Cleveland Select, etc. were introduced. These trees will live about 25 years. That's a little consolation for the resulting disasters that happened when these other pear varieties were introduced. However, the fact that the Bradford pear trees are short-lived and dangerous is not the real reason that these trees are such a disaster. The problem is that the fact that these trees, in fact, are not sterile. No two Bradford pears will ever produce, reproduce among themselves, but they do cross-pollinate with every other pear tree out there, including the Cleveland Select pear trees that were meant to be the salvation of the flowering pears everywhere. The introduction of other pear varieties has compounded the problem to the point where it is almost too late to rectify. Because of the cross-pollination problem, pear trees have now proliferated exponentially across the environment, and to make matters worse, the evil offspring has reverted to the ancient Chinese calorie pear, which form impenetrable thorny thickets that choke out the life of pines, dogwoods, maples, redbuds, oaks, hickories, etc. So when you see those fields of white flowering trees, please don't get giddy with excitement or pretty white flowers. What you're looking at are colliery pears destroying nature. Colliery pears have four-inch thorns. They can't be mowed down. These thorns will shred John Deere tractor tires. They can only be removed by steel tract dozers, decreasing the value of agriculture or forest land to the tune of $3,000 per acre. And make no mistake about it, this solitary Bradford tree pear tree growing in your yard is what caused this problem. Your one tree has spawned hundreds of evil progeny and if you don't believe that just take a little ride and notice all the white flowering blooming trees nowadays uh, and they are the curse of the Bradford pear. You know that's that's what the false gospel has done. They have corrupted 
They have put in the minds of people false hope. False hope. Like leaven will leaven the whole lump. Well, notice the third thing. The kingdom of God must be entered by the new birth. Notice verse 23. Then said one unto him, Lord, are there few that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, for many, I will say unto, say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. When once the master of the house is risen up and has shut to the door, and you begin to stand without it and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, Lord, open unto us, and he shall answer and say unto you, I know you not whence ye are. Then shall you begin to say, We have eaten and drunk in your presence, and thou hast taught in our streets. But he shall say, I tell you, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, when ye shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. And they shall come from the east and from the west, and from the north and from the south, and shall sit down in the kingdom of God. And behold, there are last which shall be first, and there are first which shall be last. Now, I want you to draw your attention to particularly verse 24 and verse 30 where it says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter in and shall not be able. And verse 30 says, Behold, there are last which shall be first and there are first which shall be last. So again, he's saying that there is the multitude of people or the majority of people are trusting in a false hope. And so we need to give serious consideration to our eternal state. He says to strive to enter in at the straight gate. That means to endeavor with strenuous zeal. You need to be diligent to make your salvation sure. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. In other words, seek out, diligently seek means to seek out or search for properly. And the warning here is that there are many who have not properly searched him out. Many means, the word many means a large part of mankind. Many of these will claim to know him. Verse 25 tells us that. In Matthew 7 he talks about that that many will say in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in that name? They, they preached and cast out devils and done many wonderful works. And he will say, I never knew you. Many. The Jews, the Jews as a people group rejected him. There was a few, there was a minority that received him. But as a people group, they rejected him. All the while claiming to be followers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets. But he said, hey, Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and the prophets are going to enter in. But you're going to be left out. You're going to be left out. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day. He said, Moses wrote of me, and yet you want to stone me. See, we have to give serious consideration to our external state. You know, the gospel was to the Jew first. 
but they're going to be last. And that's what that, many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. He said they're going to become from the east, west, north, and south. That speaks of Gentiles entering the kingdom, and many of the Jews left out. So, so we have to give serious consideration. And this new birth is through repentance and faith. Now there's many words that are used in the scripture that are synonymous to this. Verse 28 he says, uh, There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when ye shall see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and yourselves thrust at. So the question we want to ask ourselves is how did Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob get there? Well, if you go to Romans chapter 4, Romans chapter 4, the Bible makes it very clear how Abraham, and of course Isaac and Jacob, they all followed in the footsteps of Abraham, their father. But in, in Romans 4 verse 1 it says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father as pertaining to the flesh hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is a reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. So Abraham believed God. The word believed there means to put confidence in, to give oneself up to. So Abraham realized that he could not save himself. That he was a condemned man before a holy and righteous God. He could not save himself. So he gave up on self. That's what repentance is. You give up on yourself. You can't save yourself. There's nothing you can do. There's no works you can do. You can, you can be, you, whether it's baptism or giving to a church or, or being faithful in a church or doing good to your neighbor or trying to keep the law, there's nothing that you can do to earn your way to, the, to heaven into the kingdom of God. Abraham understood that. And so he gave up on himself, but he believed, he put his confidence in the Lord. And that's what, you know, again, there's terms, I mentioned there's terms in the Bible that, that are synonymous. That's what it means to be born again. That's what it means to be saved. That's what repentance and faith is. That's what it means when we say receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. All those things mean the same thing. See, there's only one God and one me between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. You know, Jesus told Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And he, and he told Nicodemus in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. By me. In John chapter 10, verse uh, 27, 28, he said, My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. In John chapter 11, verses 25 and 26, speaking to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Not the church, not baptism, not experience, not feelings. I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest? Thou this? 
John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Salvation is not in a church. And no church can keep salvation from you. The church is simply to be the messenger to take the gospel of the kingdom to a lost and dying world. It's the organization God uses to take his gospel. It can't save you. We can't save you. We can only tell you of the one who can save you. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're trusting in anything but Jesus Christ and him alone to save you from your sins, I'd have to conclude you're lost. You're lost. You see, we can enter into the kingdom of God but it's through a person. First Timothy 2.5 tells us, There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. So I guess my question is, do you have the truth? Are you a true child of God? Or are you a Bradford Pear Christian? Look nice. have no real life. You know, Paul told Timothy, there will be many who have a form of God, but deny the power thereof. We must have more than a form. We must have the truth. That's through a person. Jesus Christ and him alone. So, where are you today? Have you been born again? Have you trust, put your, your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are, if you have, are you serving him through his church?